Hello and welcome to Dream Nation Love. I'm your host, Yulia. And today on the show, I have Meg Anderson. And she's a comedian, writer, improver living in NYC. And she's really, really funny. She studied improv at the People's Improv Theater, otherwise known as The Pit, and also at the Upright Citizens Brigade, where I've taken a few classes as well. I'm a huge fan of comedy, especially female comics, and I really try to have a lot of female comedians on the show because I know how hard it is to get into comedy. And uh, there are a lot of women that are really funny out there, and I want to give them a platform. Uh, Meg is also the first woman to ever teach improv at the pit and she's one of the founding members of the baldwins which is the theater's headlining house team you can go check them out highly highly recommend it meg's appeared in numerous commercials web series indie films and television shows she also recently wrote and starred in a web series called scotus in the city where she portrays supreme court justice ruth bader ginsburg i can't even talk about it without cracking up a little bit because She does a really spot-on impression of RBG, and it's so funny, and you have to check it out, and it's on YouTube. And the show is all about her hitting the dating scene with her fellow female justices. It's really funny. Check it out. Meg is hilarious. And uh, I hope you enjoy the podcast and share it with your friends. Have a great day. Today, I'm here with Meg Anderson. Yes. And uh, she has a really great new show coming out. She wrote it. She acts in it. She's like a woman of a thousand faces. Mm-hmm. And uh, mm-hmm. it's called SCOTUS and the City. And I'll let Meg tell you about it while I adjust the camera. Uh, sure, yeah. So SCOTUS and the City. I play Ruth Bader Ginsburg, Supreme Court Justice. And it is a story that basically is Sex in the City meets the Golden Girls meets West Wing. So it's a story about the four single Supreme Court justices. Uh, the female justices um, are Ruth Bader Ginsburg, Elena Kagan, Sonia Sotomayor, and Sandra Day O'Connor. Sorry, my one of our cats is being extremely needy right now. It's okay. We, we, we need her. But I did just discover that she's also wearing a doily. Hold on, I have to show her. She is. Yeah, look. Like, she's like a Supreme Court cat. Yeah, see? She's like a Supreme Court cat. See, look. She's got a doily. Cha, 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 cha. You're so cute. Look, she doily. needs a little gavel. Doily. I know. She's got a little doily. <laughs> and so for the videos, um, Ruth Bader Ginsburg has that same cat, and she nicknames her, nicknames her Justice. Oh, anyway, is she? Justice. <gasps> oh, my gosh. And Liberty are their cats under the bed. Just yes. like Liberty is hiding during the Trump era under the bed everybody (laughs) um so yeah no the web series it's really great i'm really really proud of it we've been extremely fortunate because we've had some amazing amazing comedic actors have joined us and they're playing um some currently very outrageous political figures we have six of the at one point it was eight and now as of course what you know depending on who becomes the ninth uh the justice the new one um, but anyway, we, so we have actual Supreme Court justices represented. So for any Supreme Court nerds, Stephen Breyer is on this. Uh, Clarence Thomas is on this. And we have the Justice John Roberts. So there's a lot of justices. There's a lot of judge humor. A lot of judge humor. I watched all yeah. the three episodes. Oh, thank you. Thank you. Yeah. yeah, so the first season's three. Um, I've written the second season. The production company's been really amazing. And we're actually just looking for someone to help us distribute and make the second season. I saw that you have a hashtag Lady Parts Justice on there. Do yes. you? Are they involved? Or? Lady Parts Justice um, has been a really big supporter of mine. And they. I shot a couple sketches with them. 
they deserve a good call out hashtag every once in a while. So I'm just trying to get them in there. Well, I don't think many people know, but Liz is also the co-creator of The Daily Show. Yeah. So Liz is like a badass comedy writer and she's really funny. And I've seen her, like I've met her and and I follow her on Instagram. I'm trying to get her on the podcast too at some point. She's mm-hmm. amazing. Yeah. But she, Kate Cannon is going to be doing the podcast. I have to like finalize the dates with her. Oh, cool. But she's like, I love her writing. Yeah. So I'm like, I'm just trying to get all the like female writer comedians like on the show. I'm Great. like, let's all talk. Let's yeah. all do stuff together. Absolutely. Right. So yeah. Um, so I've been really lucky, yeah, and um, so the women who I was able to work with, I know them really well, so Sandra Day O'Connor is played by a really incredible Broadway actress, Melinda Tanner, and Sarah Nowak plays Elena Kagan, and Christine Pinheiro plays Sonia Sotomayor, and when I was writing the first season, I know their voices so well, and I mean, these are all my friends. And so I wrote these characters with their voices, which made it very easy. And it was so amazing to get on set and then have them say the words. And I was like, oh my God, this is so cool. And then, you know, the way I wrote it, it was like, oh, and Chris Griggs is a very good friend of mine. He's a comic and he does improv with me. And he does and has for many years done a very funny Bill Clinton impression. And it's always been like a little on the skeevier side. So I was like, obviously Bill Clinton's going to be... Pretty skeevy in this. So that's how we tend to be. That's like a nonpartisan part of it. It's like, well, like, when I wrote it, it was like in response to things. I simply wrote like Bill Clinton responds, mm-hmm. right? Like you just build in a place where actors on set can play. And a lot of what we ended up keeping was, you know, the structure was there, but there's responses in there that in a million years I couldn't have thought of. They're so funny. So. Right. Yeah. Well, you know what I say, um, hire the best people and let them do their job. Yeah. You know, like stay out of their way. I was listening to the Mark Maron's podcast yesterday with, I think I forget who, um, maybe Josh Brolin or something. And he was just talking about that. Like the best shows are done when the actors just get to do what they do. You have great writing and then you let them loose. Yeah. No. So I'm, I'm excited. I'm super excited to see what we can, what we can make of the second season. That's awesome. So how did you get the idea to start writing the show? I know that you teach a lot at, um, uh, you were teaching at the pit Mm -hmm. and now you have your own classes that you offer. Oh, this is really great. Um, Meg teaches these amazing women improv classes and you should check them out at meganderson.com. Um, you should absolutely take my class. I will. You yes. know what? That's a great idea. Yeah. But it makes me feel alive to play. Yeah. So I have been doing improv since 2004. And I helped found the Baldwins, which is a really amazing improv team at the pit. I recently actually kind of stepped back from the Baldwins. So I'm no longer playing with them. But they're going strong Saturday nights at 8 at the pit. And, you know, they taught me everything. I was at the pit for a long time teaching. And so I grew my comedy voice. And I realized that only once in 14 years did I ever take a women's improv class. And it was early on in in my career. And it like, it helped me so much. And it introduced me to this incredible world of women and in comedy. And it was really important for me to be around all women in that safe environment where you could play in really unsafe, you know what I'm saying? Like play in a way that was like, you can explore like, what's it like to play another gender, to play like the opposite way that you might normally, you know, play really dirty, but in a safe environment. And so I wanted to create that again. And so I'm now teaching my own class. I taught one last year and it was such an awesome experience. Mm-hmm. 
I was like, you know, I always say that corporations should also bring in improv classes and um, bring them into their setting because it helps bond for, it helps all the employees bond and it helps them open up and it helps them communicate and it teaches people how to play Yeah, and like get rid of all these boundaries that stick between corporate worlds, you know, and it makes you just more creative. It just does. So I actually work um, sometimes for a really incredible guy, Bob Colhan. Um, he was at Second City for a long time, and he was an adjunct professor at Duke in Columbia. And he worked with a behavioral psychologist and founded a company called Business Improv. Great. Yeah. And for five or six years, I've been training, and I've tr- helped train over 4,000 C-suite execs and uh, graduate students from Ivy League graduate schools, the tenets of improv, basically, and how you can like better communicate, you know, foster talent, break down the blocks of communication. That's amazing. You know what I love yeah. about improv? It's the building of the story and actually working together with another person yeah. and having trust and fostering trust in the other person and knowing that you're going to have a really wonderful result when you let go and trust. Yeah, I think trust is a choice. You know, yes. um, I also think there's a reason that there's a bar 20 feet from every single stage because it's really scary. It's scary to get up there. It's a real yeah. thing, right? It's comedy juice. Um, so it takes a lot. You know, it's scary and so what do we have to do you know as the, they used to have painted on the back of the pit wall it's in huge letters it said follow the fear mm-hmm. so every time you stood on stage you would look and you follow the fear right and why because what's on the other side of fear right a goal and what's on the other side goal another goal and right love love is on the other side of fear <laughs> yeah there That's you go love right so so it's always interesting to me but i i actually like segued away from the way I normally start my podcast, which is, uh, what was your dream as a kid? My dream as a kid, I wanted to grow up to be a bus driver. That was my dream. Any type of a bus, like a huge coach or a school bus? Or I don't particular know. Yeah, I was like a city bus. City be, bus? Yeah. I don't know. I, the only reason I can think that is because when I was in kindergarten, we had the greatest bus driver in the world. He used to give us Oreos. And so I was like, that's it. Like he has brought me the most joy in my life and I want to bring joy to people. And then I remember changing to, I wanted to be a firefighter for a really long time. I wanted to be a firefighter. And then my goal changed and many, many years passed. And I was like, I want to be a comedic actor. <laughs> so there's like a lot of goals in between there, but yeah. So how did you get in first? You were like, yeah. okay, I'm going to be a bus driver. Then you're like, nope, I'm going to fight fire. And then <laughs> you were like, comedic acting. I got it. How did it, you Well, there was like a lot of years in between there. In high school, I, my, uh, this, well, this is the, the inception. So I have an identical twin sister. What? Yeah. What? She's way funnier than I am too. Oh my God. Yeah, that's no. amazing. For years, forever, I've been trying to get her to do comedy. She's actually a really talented puppeteer. Oh my God. This yeah. is amazing. Yeah, yeah. She's really, really funny. So she's like all of like our friends, kids love, you know, she'll go over and like, she can animate anything. She's like Moomenshans. She can do like yes. those huge puppets. I don't know what that is, but like. It's a I German puppet group that is amazing. Yeah, That's she's awesome. And, but she's very funny anyway. So she, uh, but I always was the funny one, you know, twins, you have mm-hmm. that balance. And so I was always the funny one. But then in high school, she auditioned for this comedy troupe during this school's variety show. And she got in. Mm-hmm. I was like, I'm sorry, I'm the funny one. And that flipped my identity on its head. And so then it's a competition because that's life. And then the next year I auditioned and I got in. And then I was on stage with 
extraordinary people who are still some of my very closest friends. And one of whom last year was nominated for a Tony. It's out of control. Yeah. So there's very, there was, uh, there was a, a lot of talent in there and that love of comedy was born. I was like, Oh, I know how to do this. So then that was in when I was a senior in high school and then cut to two years after I graduated college. Um, I moved in with that, you know, one of my close friends from comedy troupe and, uh, I had gotten a degree in college from a film degree. Cause I was like, Oh, you can't make money doing comedy. Mm-hmm. So I was like, I gotta do something practical. And then I, I roomed with him and he's like, what the hell are you talking about? Like, do you take an improv class? And I was like, Oh no, 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 no. I'm not getting on stage. I'm not doing that freeze tag shit. It ain't going to happen. And he's like, take one class and I'll, I'll stop asking you. Mm-hmm. I was like, okay. And I took my very first class at the pit. And it was like, uh, it was the, the level before level one, they used to call it level fun. Fun. It was I like the like form intro. Yeah. And then I was there and I was like, oh my God, this is what I want to do. This is what I've always wanted to do. And so then I just started making very rapid goals, mm-hmm. which was, okay, now I want to take all the classes. And then I took all the classes. Okay. Now I want to be on a team. And then I auditioned I was on a team. And I was like, okay, now I want to teach. And then I started teaching. And then I was like, started seeing my friends in all these commercials. I was like, I want to be in commercials. And so I got a commercial agent and then I got to do commercials. And I was like, and then I started seeing those friends in TV shows. And I was like, I want to be on TV. And so I got a manager and I'm in that process there now, like working towards it. I will be on TV, you know? You will be. Yeah. And so, yeah, that's very exciting. And I realized along the way, I was like, I have a lot of things that I want to do. I have a lot of characters that I want to develop. You're um, the woman of a thousand faces, by the way. That's what it says on your body. Oh, yeah, and yeah, yeah. Really great Claire Danes impression as well. Yes, I look like her. So, yeah, Mike Bledger said that. That was very nice of him. He's a very funny comedian. So, I look, we have chopped red hair. So, she looked like Claire Danes from... My so-called life. Exactly. And so, I was like, no self, never cut hair like that. But mostly, it's, I just do a really good Claire Danes from Homeland. Okay, let's see. Well, it's mostly just her yelling. Okay? Yes, I'm ready for it. But I have a really nice blonde wig. So, but this is, do you remember Carrie in the latest season? Did you see the latest season? I watched parts of it, yes. She goes to the hotel and she's wearing the brown wig. You guys know yes. what I'm talking about. Okay. So this is like her. She's like, this could also be her scarf. I was not prepared with, I was not prepared with my props. Improv. Okay. So! So that's my curtains. I love yeah. it. Yeah. Um, I, I lived in New Haven when she was going to Yale and she was so thin that I once saw her. And I lost her because she walked behind a parking meter and she physically disappeared out of my wow. set because she was so skinny. Yeah. But I saw her once at Yale. I definitely thing? identify with that being so skinny. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's definitely part of people are like, why well, you're skinny? And I was like, Claire Haynes, right? <laughs> yes. <laughs> that's where it started. Um, <laughs> you can possibly lose me behind uh, like 15 parking meters. <laughs> There's probably like a piece of paper once and they're like, Meg, where did you go? like in in another dimension i'm not here anymore mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah also 15 parking meters what the hell are you talking about something <laughs> 15 parking meters is like the size of a couch i think we have to talk about like you know, like so body dysmorphia i have a little bit of a body dysmorphia yeah, i mean that's okay little, like 15 times amplified yeah so i think we all have we that all have we all have our thing everyone's got a thing but this show's about you <laughs> Isn't it about all of us? Dreams. It's about all of us. Hashtag Dream Nation Love. 
to Dream Nation love. Um, but um, so how did you get the idea to write the RGB character? Holy crap, that On was CNN. like Lenny Bruce that we did. Right? On CNN, it premieres tonight, actually. Tonight? I'll be live tweeting. The RGB right. documentary premieres tonight, which I didn't even realize. Like, how amazing that we're doing this on Labor Day. Yeah. And she's talking about labor things, which we'll get into later. All oh, later. And then you're here doing an RGB show. Yeah. Uh, about, like, it's so meta. Guys, it's meta. It's meta. We <laughs> didn't even plan it. It just, it's the universe. I know. It's the universe. So, Sarah Nowak, who portrays Elena Kagan in the, pot, in the website, in the series, the web series, she is also on the Baldwins and has been forever. In 2014, she texted me a picture of Ruth Bader Ginsburg on the cover of the New York Times. And it was a picture of RBG. And that was really the first time that I'd seen her. Like, I've heard about her, but I don't, I mean, I'm like not following, you know, politics. I'm not following anyway, the Supreme Court. And I was like, oh my God, I look like her. And so I took this picture of me, you know, I got a scarf dressed like her. I'm like, you know, like this. And then she got back, she's like, this is like, it was, it's amazing. And so the character started that way. And I started doing a few videos. And I did a music video. She did this rap, which is on my website. You can find it. And then a friend of a friend, her husband was the photographer for Mary de Blasio. Mm-hmm. And I said, you know, I'd love to. I just wanted to march in the gay pride parade at some, like, as a person. And she said, if you march as RBG you should march with like the mayor's office. And I was like, yes, I think I will. And I marched as Ruth Bader Ginsburg in the pride parade in 2015 or 2016. That's incredible. Yeah. And uh, I, I, people on the sidelines were flipping out and only two of them thought I was judge Judy. So that was a major success. <laughs> They're like, judge Judy. I was like, why, why are you so excited to see judge Judy? That's fine. But people were like, had RBG like tattoos and they had t-shirts like literally. And to march in that parade is extraordinary. I mean, you talk about love. Yeah. It was an extraordinary experience. But that is when I, I didn't even have a web series then. And I had shot two sketches called Scotus in the City. And in that parade, people were like, where can we see more of you? And I was like, this is something. Mm-hmm. This is actually something. So I was like, there's a web series. And I was like, I never read a web series. It's that. And they're like, there's a web series. Yeah. And then, exactly. <laughs> and then the election 2016 happened. Mm-hmm. And I was like, I can't listen to NPR anymore. Mm-hmm. I think they became truly unhealthily obsessed with Trump. I don't listen to them anymore, actually, either. I started listening to them during September 11th. You know, it gets too much. See, I love them. I was a member for a long, long time, but I like ended my membership. Like every single story was about Trump. I mean, my favorite story was Bridgegate. I mean, we're right here by the George Washington Bridge and Bridgegate was a joy for me. And I shut off all news and I was like, I can't read the news, which means I can't fuel fodder for jokes. And I literally put to bed Ruth Bader Ginsburg. I was like, it's not happening. And then in February of 2017, a production company approached me and they said, we want you to write a web series of Ruth Bader Ginsburg and we're going to produce it. And I was like, I can't, I'm sorry, I'm not doing the impression anymore. And they're like, no, you need to, like, it's time for her. And I was like, you mean fulfill a dream? You mean they literally came to me and asked me to do it? I was like, okay. You manifested it though, right? I totally manifested it. You totally Um, manifested it. Yeah. But, um, and so we wrote it and then in September of last year, a year ago, we shot it and it just 
it was one of those things that came together and it premiered um, in March. Yeah, it's awesome. I'm really, really proud of it. I think it's really funny. I think you guys would really enjoy it. It's on YouTube, but every you can get all the links on MegAndersonComedy.com. YouTube people, go to the YouTube page, and it's housed under the production company site, right? Yeah, Hard For Productions. If you look for Hard For Productions on YouTube, Hard For Productions, it's under yeah. that. I know it's a little confusing to find it sometimes because you think it would be under SCOTUS in the city. Yeah, thank you. But it's under Correct. Hard For Productions, so you have to really Google your way to find it. Which we will solve because it shouldn't be that hard to find. Yes. It's a good note. It's um, a good note, right? Yeah. So, but it's really, really funny. Thank and you. Uh, I was laughing so hard. I was like, I was like, oh my God, like I had tears coming out of my eyes. Oh, thank you. Yeah. That's so nice. It was really funny. And I was like, this girl's talented. I'm going to, I'm going to talk to her. Oh, like, thank you. And I was like, this is really great because it's, it's not too often that you see really funny stuff yeah. and really amazing talent performing too, yeah. you know? And this is stuff that, why isn't this on Netflix? Why isn't this on Amazon? You know, like this really great comedy should be living on all yeah. the other channels aside from YouTube. Like there should be content that is enjoyable to watch. There's yeah. so many shows that get produced on Netflix and Amazon and we need a bigger outlet for diverse voices, which yes. is women writers, hello, yeah. and directors and producers. Thanks. Yeah, I'd love, I'd love I to agree. launch a network one day, just putting it out there. I want to be bigger than Oprah. Just saying that, yes, I said it. I said it. <laughs> And I want to have a production company and yeah. help people produce all these dreams because nothing exists yet. And like, let's do it. Yeah. So that's a bigger dream of mine. It's an awesome dream. It's an, it's, it's an insane dream. And very doable dream. This is the thing is the idea of like, how do I, you know, I, I am someone who I have visions and I write it down. Mm -hmm. I really believe a goal can be achieved when you write it down um, and review it. And I have been told you know, over and over is like, you have a goal, you can break it down. What are the steps to get there? So my day job is I'm a senior producer at innovation firm and I've been there for two years. It's a really great experience. It really, you know, kicks my butt to be very like organized left brain. We have a lot of projects, you know, in charge of a lot of budgets and stuff for major fortune 500 companies. You can't screw that up. So it's like constantly me bringing that work into my creative life. Like, how can I be organized? How can I work on pitches? How can I do that? You know? And before that I worked for events. I was working in nonprofits. I helped in 10 years, I organized two or three dozen large scale nonprofits. I helped raise $30 million. That's amazing. Yeah. You know, for nonprofits and 15,000 guests. That's a lot, right? At one time, like 15,000? Oh my God. No, no, no. Yeah, that would be a Let's lot. Let's have a festival. A festival of like love and women. Yeah, I've actually created a festival. Affair. <laughs> I created like a women's festival last year. Oh, you did? Yeah. And it was going to cost $500,000. I love that. Which is really cheap. And I got like, I won't even tell you, I have the deck and I pitched it to everybody and I had Vice, I had Bustle, I had Shopify interested, but like nobody wanted to pay. So I was like, I have all these speakers. I have a humongous space. And like I, my partner and I tried to get the funding together in like three months and it was like yeah. not even close, but one day it'd be cool to do a festival. Like it would be really amazing to do a festival. Yeah. I mean, you just got to find the money. You got to find the money and lots of festivals out there right now that are just festivals that aren't like epic. Fire festival. Fire. <laughs> well, you know, it was like fire <laughs> festival got funding, but then like here we are as women trying to like pitch companies and we're like yeah here's like ten dollars and you're like great thank you well you know one of the things that i learned was you know how do you get to a successful 
200 steps to get there. Yes. 200, that's it. I mean, it takes a lot, you know? Yeah. So 200 steps. So I'm like, I know how to organize a million dollar gala. I've done it a lot. So I'm like, oh, shouldn't I be able to apply that same thing and be like, I want to get paid to write and create community mm-hmm. content. Okay, so what are the steps I have to take to get there? You know, it's different because I'm like, okay, like the things that I have to do in like my day job life or that, I am not afraid to do because I'm not vulnerable. This poem I'm going to do, and I'm going to, you know, be as bold and brash and, you know, and obviously professional, but like whatever it takes, I'm going to get there and get the job done. Why is it I'm constantly asking, do I'm like, hesitant and then like that when it comes to my comedy we're like no I can't ask them it's like that's not how it works mm-hmm. you know yes. I feel really bold in my day job I was like hey look I really think that I deserve a promotion in this and you know I got a raise in December I was like no that was easy and then co-workers female co-workers like I don't know if I can ask for a raise I was like what are you talking about just right. tell them you need a raise but it's so hard to do it in our daily lives, right? For yourself. For yourself, and you try to see It's changing that, yeah. But it's like, it's literally like switching, flipping a switch in your head and going, I can do this. Like, it's literally looking at yourself as a company, right? It's almost like you have to like step outside of your body and like, you're so good with goal setting, right? Like, I'm curious what steps you use to achieve your goals because it sounds like you're very methodical about it. Like, my goals are, okay, I have a little calendar, and I have a whole list of what I do and I try to separate it week by week. And I'm like, and these are the goals that I try to achieve. But then I'm realizing that for me, I have random things that pop up yeah. and I'm a little bit impulsive. So I realize it takes away from my focus because I tend to do impulsive things. And I also tend to like work myself deep into the ground. So I mm. become burned out. And I usually put myself out of commission for two days because I'm like, I over, I compensate by working out too much. And then I'm like, yeah, like physically working, physically working oh. out because I'll go like really, really hard. Or I'll be, like, super burnt out from staying up working, like, 18-hour days Mm -hmm. for, like, two or three days in a row. And then my body is like, we're going to put you to sleep. (laughs) (laughs) We're going to cryogenically freeze you for now. We are just going to shut it down so you sleep. Like, my my brain wants to keep going, but my body is like, you're going to take a nap so your body can regenerate. And, like, you can do this again. Yeah. I guess people are looking forward to this podcast to, like, figure out little hacks and little ways they can like help themselves achieve goals, right? So, so I took this really amazing class with Maria Bamford, mm-hmm. and she oh, is extraordinary. And I wish that obviously she's very funny and as a writer and a performer and talented. But I wish that she like would give symposiums mm-hmm. because one of the things that she taught that I took from this class was do one thing mm-hmm. that you've meant to do or that was you have been avoiding doing every day. And so I took that and I'm, you know, working hard to take actions. Every day I try to write down everything that I've done towards my goal. So towards writing, towards creating something. Um, I look at that. I'm like, if I can do one thing, that's important. I'm the same way though. Like I have a lot of projects. I have them flow. And so I'll set goals. So I took that from event planning. So like, it's like a year out. So I want to try and have this by a year out. So I'm like, okay, how do I get there? What's the nine month, six month, you know, 90 day, 30 day check-in that I'm supposed to be doing, right? It's flexible too. Like I've got a really crazy day job, you know, like my, my husband is my number one supporter. Like that guy is, I couldn't do without him. 
He believes in me. He loves me. Can we plug him? Because he's awesome. Happy Anderson is an amazing person. Happy Anderson. Acting.com is a really beautifully, you know, run website. I run that website, but it's his content. He's working right now on a TNT show um, called Snowpiercer. They're filming in Vancouver. And he was in Mindhunter. Oh, yes, he was. He was so good at Yeah, he was a serial killer in episode seven and eight, the guy that jerks off into a shoe. But he's really a good guy. He really is. That's right. He did. I forgot about that. I just remember him being towering and amazing. Such a good show. Yeah, his work was amazing in that. And um, so, yeah, so he's so inspiring to me and Mm -hmm. and, and loves me a lot. And And he helps me with the goals. Yeah, I always say that he loves me until I can love myself. Yeah, he really does. And so that gives me, you know, I'm like, oh, this person believes in me so much. Maybe he sees something in me. And so, you know, I, we, I have negative self-talk, I think. And it's like just trying to ignore that voice. Mm-hmm. And like really negative things are saying things in my own voice. So I tend to listen to them, even though I probably shouldn't. I do the same thing that you do. I, I ask people, mm-hmm. what do you do? Mm-hmm. And so a friend of mine told me a couple of years ago, he's written three novels. And he says, every day I go to the computer and I open up whatever I'm working on. And some days I can't. I can't get myself to do anything other than open up that file, but it creates a muscle memory that you go and you open up the file and that starts to break down this block that you have. So that day three, if all you've done is gone, I'm like, day four, I can, I know how to open up the file. Maybe I have five minutes or I'm thinking about it then on the train. And I use my notes app a lot to write. Um, I started, I finally put final draft onto my iPad. And so now I'm very close to finishing this writing project that has that I brought with me for eight years. Wow. Oh my god, I just want to finish this thing. Is it a secret? Can you talk about oh, it's it? A it's a screenplay. It's a screenplay. screenplay that I wrote. Um, that's based on, you know, an event planner. So yeah, like it's a great idea, and I'm just like have been sitting on it. Why? I don't know, fear, procrastination. You know, which is it's the fear, fear of greatness in five syllables. It's the fear of greatness. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it's interesting because it's like my father is a painter. He's a watercolor artist and he can yeah. do, he can do anything other than paint. I mean, he's obviously very, you know, smart, but mm-hmm. he didn't want to do anything other than paint. He's a painter. He's an artist. He's and an artist. Um, these are, these two things are his. Oh my God. They're beautiful. Yeah. And he does maritime art. And um, he was in galleries, and he painted a stamp. He was commissioned by oh my the government to paint a stamp. He said, find what you love, and then find a way to get paid for it. That's brilliant, right? I once had um, a really great friend tell me that the only way you become what you are is when you get your first paycheck for it. Yeah. That's when you officially yeah. are what you are. Yeah, and you're I was professional, like, right? You're a professional. And yeah. I was like, that really stuck with me. So it's always... How do I make the leap into the next thing that I want to do? Right? Because you're always inventing yourself. Yeah. yeah. So. Well, I read The War of Art. And oh, that book yes. kicked my ass. Because it's all about resistance. Mm-hmm. And the guy always talks about, well, you got to get up when the muse is up with you. Right? He talks about the muse. And that's the difference between the amateur and the professional. Mm-hmm. The professional, it's a job. And yes. the amateur is like, still waiting for inspiration yeah and that kicked my ass because i was like i gotta write when i'm inspired it's like no that's not, it's everything i saw my dad do mm-hmm. my dad likes painting my guess once he's sitting down in the studio 25 percent of the time 
I can myself up to the studio. That's what I grew up with. Mm-hmm. So it's like, you know, I'm not sure why, you know, there's a disconnect between like, you know, get on stage and like, it's so fun. It's such a rush to get out there and do it. But then you sit down and, you know, improv is out into the ether. Mm-hmm. But to like sit and create something sucks to write sometimes. It really mm-hmm. sucks. And, and obviously it's like rewarding and feels good. But allowing that space, allowing me to not meet my 30-day goal, allowing me to be impulsive, allowing mm-hmm. that to happen has been a huge, huge part of my process. But just like get it done. What is your dream as an adult? My dream as an adult? <laughs> yeah. I just, I love making people laugh. That is something that feels really good. I think laughter is a language of humanity and it means connection Mm -hmm. and I work hard in my characters and my work to let people be empathetic and compassionate for other people they might not see and so having compassion for other people um, I really hope to do that through the second season of SCOTUS in the City I'm very excited about this well, I think, yeah. you know, Scotus in the City is also a great way to introduce a lot of women who are not familiar with Ruth Ginsburg's work. Yeah. Because there are a lot of women who are not into politics and they don't really know how much she's done uh, for women's rights for the um, for, for, for her older lifetime, yeah. what she's achieved. So people usually just see her as a judge and as a woman, as this old woman. Yeah. But she's this incredible figure that every day still fights for women's rights and minority rights and diverse rights. Mm. And there's nobody, nobody like her. Yeah. There's a, uh, you know, there uh, out of 113 um, people, there are only six who are women and diverse mm. right now. Oh, like as a general set. Yeah, as general Oops. set. Like she is, she is literally one of the few. So I, I love her. I think it's so important for people to know about Ruth Bader Ginsburg yeah. and all the work. Like right now, she has a bill coming up. I don't really know too much about it, but stick with me. It's about like federal law and how it applies to corporations and the workers rights of being able to unionize and fight for fair labor laws and wage and even i guess like uh sexual harassment falls under it right now basically it is having workers not being able to unionize in a company and congress is apparently going to like allow this on a federal level which is crazy so every time an employee or a collection of employees have a grievance with a company, they have to fight it out of court. So there's a mandatory, like usually there are about 25 million people that sign a contract with their employees saying that if you have a grievance, it's going to be settled out of court. But like, it's amazing because that's why we have Labor Day and that's why we have weekends. But now that we have the technological age, there are no laws in place that say, well, you can't email people after six o'clock at night. You can't make people work the weekend without paying them. There are all these laws that are being disseminated. And the new technology age is not equipped to handle the influx of work that is coming to the modern day worker, whether they are in advertising agencies or any other technology-based agencies. France just outlawed emails after six o'clock. Oh, yeah. But that's France, you know, like, oh, gosh, it's not New York. And, you know, who knows? We'll yeah. see. And I just had um, Councilman Raphael, Raphael um, the Brooklyn Councilman, on my show. And we talked about a bill that he's trying to pass that is going to try to limit work hours for, like, you know, 9 to 7, yeah. 9 to 6. You're not going to be able to email 
an employee after six and fire them if they don't respond. The employee is going to have the right to be able to not respond during work hours because it affects your relationship. Yeah. But we'll see how that goes because, you know. For now, you know, it's really interesting because for now, you know, I work in a company that's based in London. Mm -hmm. And so we have extremely generous vacation package. Oh, London is great. They're so good. We have flex work hours, which means if you work a lot in the evening, then, you know, it's like it all eventually, hopefully adds up. Um, but in the space where I work, you know, in the innovation field, it's the idea is that you can put up boundaries like that. Mm-hmm. It's interesting because that's what the SAG union, SAG after union protects. And the SAG after union is really interesting too. I look at them a lot because yeah. I'm a part of SAG after too. Mm-hmm. So I, I always look at them and I go, wow, how are they like, because they've been able, but you know, the new contracts are coming out too. And that's, that's very interesting yeah. too. But that's like a whole entire different category. Yeah, that's very that's interesting. a whole different can of worms for a different discussion. Yeah. We're just talking about Ritter Ritzberg today and her yeah. accomplishments. For well, but I love that because like, you know much more about that than I do. You know, I'm, I look like her and use her as a vessel where I can comment on current events. Mm-hmm. You know, and she is, for me, does that. But she also... She, what I think is so amazing is that she represents different things to everybody. Like, like what does she represent to you? She represents a woman that was a trailblazer that decided to do something at her time that was remarkably not typical for a woman. She yeah. was one of, uh, I think, the nine women graduating. I mean, she okay, she went to Cornell, she went to Harvard, and I think she went to Stanford. I may be wrong. Columbia. She went, Columbia. I'm mm-hmm. sorry. Yeah, so she went from Harvard, she transferred to Columbia, mm-hmm. she got her degree, and at Harvard she was one of the very few women there. And then uh, when she got her paid position as a professor, they offered her less money because she had a husband. Also, she met him, she graduated and she married him, and they were both like badasses. Mm-hmm. But she was told that she was going to earn less money because her husband is successful. Get that. Mm-hmm. So he was first, sick, I think, and so that's why she had to... Yes. Yeah. Daughter, yeah. He passed away from uh, from cancer, I believe, um, in 2010. Oh, but uh, but she just represents this woman that just kept on powering on. When he was sick, she was she was going to class. She was taking notes for him. She was helping him write his papers. He was dictating, and she was typing, and she was taking care of kids. And she is just unstoppable. Yeah. And she just is there advocating for women and diversity. Yeah. And she's a voice for women and diversity. And she can actually talk about reproductive rights because what like yeah. I she, can't she's a yeah she's a woman because yeah. she can produce children and I want somebody in the government that knows what it's like to give birth and has my physicality at least that can comment on what I can do and what I cannot do with my body yeah. and what other women can do. Fifteen parking meters, you guys. So yeah, I'm thank you. For, time for run. Thank you for being on the show, you guys. <laughs> bye bye. Bye bye. Thanks for tuning into the show. I hope you enjoyed it. Please share on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at Dream Nation Love. It's not Dream Nation Podcast. It's Dream Nation Love because I think my single mission in life is to teach people how to love a little bit more. And together we can save the world. So it's Dream Nation Love. Share it with your friends. Have a great day and go out and make the world a better place.